fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody, and welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about China's secret infiltration of the Canadian military with myself, because Caitlin is not here. Don't worry, everyone. This time she is not here for uh, school-related reasons, and so it's uh, not health-related, which is nice. I'm glad uh, at least both of us currently are not sick, which is nice. It's also that time of the year where things will get a bit busier. And uh, frankly, Caitlin receiving her PhD is far more important than being on this podcast. So good for Caitlin. But uh, in, in her not being here, I'm going to promote two things that I did recently. I recently appeared as a guest on a sort of like interview stream with a YouTuber named Rico Rance. It was uh, nice. We talked about activism generally. I will uh, share the link, of course, in the show notes. I then had a debate discussion thing with uh, someone named Logic Guy, who is uh, starting to do YouTube content, although they're mostly known on Twitter, I guess. And the debate surrounded the issues of uh, left-wing magazines who make content that the right-wing likes to share around. And we we debated to what extent that is a problem or not. We also discussed defund the police, but that was a little bit more conciliatory. Uh, so if either of those things interest you, I will post the links to both of them in the show notes. But with that out of the way, now it's time for the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from December 7th to December 11th. Joel Pollack is on to complain that even though the Democrats won, they did so by making too many unfair, though legal, changes to how people can vote. This is never expanded on. How were they unfair? Joel doesn't say, but the fact that he admits that they were still legal should tell you something. Joel then complains that Republicans lost Georgia due to an unconstitutional consent decree, but he doesn't explain what that is or why this consent decree helped Democrats win the state, yet underperform in the House and the Senate. The consent decree basically outlined when and how people will be notified if their ballot was rejected, and was the result of Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger settling a lawsuit against Democratic organizations who were suing the state. Democrats were suing the state because of the 2018 governor's race between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. Kemp, while running for governor, was secretary of state and therefore oversaw his own election, leading to public outcry over voter suppression and leading to Stacey Abrams to becoming a more public figure, improving uh, voter laws. 
Of course, Joel Pollack mentions none of this because to highlight the fact that this consent decree was the result of Republicans illegally suppressing the vote and therefore having to settle lawsuits brought by the Democrats would undermine his entire point that it is the Democrats who are doing something unconstitutional in terms of voting in Georgia. In fact, Pollock tries to make it sound like a bad thing since he claims that these laws were made by Democrats through litigation. These are very weak candidates, but they're going to be helped by the Democrats' turnout operation by rules the Democrats have sued to make that give an advantage to the Democrats. But then never explains why this litigation is happening in the first place. A lawsuit challenging the legality of the consent decree has been rejected by all state-level courts and is now being appealed to the Supreme Court of America. Not that it matters, since the Electoral College has already elected Joe Biden at this point, so there's nothing more to be done, really. Pollock, furthering his legal ignorance, then claims that private actors from outside of Georgia are flooding the state with money to try to win the two Senate runoff elections, and that this is also unconstitutional. Ignoring the fact that Republican donors will also likely be doing this, the Supreme Court decision in Citizens United pretty much guarantees that this is allowed, since money is speech now. It's almost as if Republicans only think corporations are people if the corporations vote Republican. Corporations are people, my friend. Pollock says that Trump's best chances to overturn the election is a Pennsylvania lawsuit against mail-in voting. The day after Pollock says this, on Ezra's show, the Republican-leaning Supreme Court denied the case. Therefore, the best-case scenario, according to Pollock, is over. But my guess is that the election fraud narrative will be with us for some time. Lastly, Tuesday's show, Ezra was absent, likely due to Ezra preparing for his big scoop to drop on Wednesday, he therefore leaves the Menzoid and Bextie to take control of the show. What is this? Are you guys kidding me? Menzies is there basically to argue that lockdowns don't work, even though Australia, which was more severe in terms of their lockdowns, is pretty much COVID-free, and Canada is still increasing our caseload. Bextie is on to complain about how religion is being suppressed during the pandemic. We stayed here to watch what was going to happen because we had a little bit of a hunch that Brian Pallister and his vile health authorities. Cringeworthy excuses for law enforcement here in Canada came to ticket Christians for staying in their cars, for staying in their cars while worshiping God. And that is the week. On Wednesday, Ezra drops what he considers his biggest scoop of his entire life. Hello, my rebels today. It's the biggest story of my life, really, journalistically. So this is his, his biggest scoop dropped Wednesday. And yet already it's kind of not in the headlines. <laughs> this big scoop he released as uh, his own 30-minute segment, which he labeled The China Files. And it was so important that he went on Alex Jones, he went on Glenn Beck, and he also got the prime spot on Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Here's a story that's hard to believe, but it's real. 
Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invited China's People's Liberation Army to send its troops to Canada for special cold weather training at a base in Ontario. That training was canceled after China kidnapped two of Canada's citizens and held them for years. A top aide to the Prime Minister then complained about the cancellation to the Department of Defense in Canada. Quote, Canada does not want to be the partner that is reducing normal bilateral interactions. In other words, it's immoral for us not to train Chinese soldiers, probably to kill us at some point. While on Alex Jones, it's important to note that he refers to this in order to highlight how this is the biggest scoop of his entire life. He tells Alex Jones that this China Files case is like Alex Jones's Bohemian Grove. Well, this is a hundred times crazier than a Tom Clancy novel. We have the co-author with Tom Clancy, Dr. Stephen Chinnick joining us next hour. This is the real world. And, and, and I, I've been interviewing Ezra Levant for probably six, seven years. I've known who he is for over a decade. The, the guy's a great journalist, an amazing person. I sleep good at night knowing he's out there, literally. Now, you know, most guests, I don't add those type of platitudes, but he really kicks ass. To have him say this is the biggest thing he's ever broke because it exposes all this clandestine training no one knew about and the military saying we're concerned and allies are concerned and Trudeau flipping out like the little globalist he is, I mean, Ezra, when you say this is huge, this is seismic. You were getting to a big point, though, when you got cut off by the break. No problem. Listen, I, I want to tell you, you know, in my own way, this was my Bohemian Grove. And the interesting comparison there is that Bohemian Grove, it was the story that kind of uh, rose Alex Jones into modern day like prominence. Basically, what happened was he broke into some cultish ritual held by some uh, elites where they were like sacrificing in front of an owl statue or something. Now he sells this as like, this is evidence of like elite secret societies that are trying to like control the world. Now, while he was doing this, John Ronson was also with him. John Ronson is a, a famous, uh, British reporter of sorts that, often go like tell stories about these odd figures, including someone like Alex Jones, which he wrote about in his book called Them. John Ronson wrote this book and in it, he discusses how he was with Alex Jones breaking into the Bohemian Grove thing. And in the end, his own sort of narrative contrasts with Alex Jones, where it's clear that Alex Jones embellishes what went on there to sell his narrative of this elite ritual that was witnessed occasionally he's correct like bohemian grove is a real mind fuck when it's, you see all these super rich people wearing robes right well burning i was there an effigy yeah i was in the crowd yeah with all the old men of wealth and well, power that, did that freak you out and you see those people one thing freaked me out um I, like alex came out of our bohemian grove night with a with with a varying interpretation of of what well, what was your interpretation? My interpretation is basically, with with one caveat, I'm about to caveat this. Okay. Um, my interpretation was that it's just like fucking, you know, Skull and Bones or yeah, some I sort agree. of Harvard club. And, you know, but those are all creepy, right? Yeah, and they want to, there, there does seem to be amongst the American ruling elites, there does seem to be a proclivity for ritual. I, I, you know, and I would contend 
that contrary to what Alex implied, they weren't actually sacrificing a child. No, he didn't say they were sacrificing a child. Oh, in it, did in he his, say it at some point in time? In his video, yeah. Oh. It could it be real. A child. It could be real. Could be real, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It well, could be real. He probably was so jazzed up that they were actually dressed up like monks <laughs> he, with the hoods and they have the Moloch, the owl god. Right. When he was actually there, uh. I mean, that probably ramped up <laughs> his love of conspiracy. Like oh, a good so solid much. three or four hundred percent. It was hilarious because you know we went in separately to to because um, Alex got it into his head that maybe I was part of the Bohemian Grove. Oh, plot. you're like deep, deep inside. Yeah, like the Wicker yeah. Man that I was like luring him in, and he would be oh, the one sacrificed yeah. in the belly of the owl. Oh no! Um, so he went in separately to me. He went in via the undergrowth, mm. uh, and I went up the drive. I just went up mm. the driveway and gave the security guard a kind of "I rule the world" wave, and then we went in there. That's all you had to do? Yeah, yeah. Lazy I mean, probably not now. security guards. Yeah. So it's ironic that Ezra highlights this as his own Bohemian Grove, which, as you could tell how I'm framing this, if John Ronson is correct, there really is nothing to what happened at Bohemian Grove. So Alex Jones's Bohemian Grove is completely vacuous. So is uh, Ezra's China Files. Or at least that's what I will be arguing once, <laughs> once we go through uh, what actually was unveiled here. You can also tell with this like media parade that Ezra has done that he's attempting to rejuvenate his career. This is something we've discussed on the show for a while now, which is back in August of 2017 after Charlottesville happened in America. Ezra was largely dismissed by most mainstream outlets in Canada and including his connections with the Conservative Party in Canada. So then leader Andrew Scheer refused to speak with him when he used to appear regularly on their shows, or at least occasionally on their shows. He got interviewed by Ezra, and he also uh, sat for an interview with Faith Goldie. Faith Goldie, remember, <laughs> was one of the big reasons uh, why Ezra got sort of uh, ostracized from the mainstream media, and that was because Faith Goldie went to this rally, largely sided with the neo-Nazi side of the positions in Charlotte, Charlottesville, and even went on a neo-Nazi podcast where she made fun of her boss's Jewishness. So Andrew Scheer was no longer talking to Ezra, and as Eric O'Toole has now taken over the conservative party, Eric is still not talking to Ezra. Now Ezra, as he breaks this story, one of the things he highlights during the week is that he actually personally reached out to the Conservative Party, and specifically Eric O'Toole, and was like, don't you want in on this scoop? Don't you want to talk to the source directly? We could, like, you know, help each other out here. I should tell you that I personally reached out to Aaron O'Toole to interview him on the subject, pretty straightforward questions, the kind of questions that he probably wished he got this morning instead of the scoldy questions from the media party. I also reached out twice to James Bazan. I'll let you know if they ever get back to me. So far, Mr. O'Toole's press secretary has said he's too busy. I wrote back asking if he really is too busy, and that's fine, I'll talk to his critic on the subject, or if this is a continuation of the wrong-headed Andrew Scheer policy of simply not talking to Rebel News. Esther is trying to leverage this to get him back in the good graces of people, which is why you would also want to do a media tour like this. Now going on Tucker Carlson, this is like, look, oh my, look at me. I'm way up here. I'm on Fox News. Like, look at me, Eric. Notice me, Eric. Love me, Eric. Bring me back in. 
but I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> it was sad, though, watching the Tucker Carlson appearance, because even when Ezra was on Tucker Carlson, it was clear that Tucker Carlson borrowed some of the clips that Ezra uses on his show. So one of the tactics that Ezra does is he plays the same goddamn clips over and over again on his show. And one of those clips that we've already discussed, it must have been like a year ago. I think we discussed this way back when we first started the show. There was a clip with Justin Trudeau where he talks about how much he admires China's basic dictatorship. Now, that's not the first time Justin Trudeau has sided with the communist government of China. A few years back, he marveled at how the Central Committee managed to keep the trains running on time. Watch. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime. And then the clip sort of ends. And then the idea there is like, look at Trudeau capitulating to China and claiming that he loves their dictatorship. Now, if you listen to the rest of the clip, uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. Uh, that I find quite interesting. I take issue with Trudeau saying that he admires China's basic dictatorship. But it's clear in the context that he's not saying he wants to be in a basic dictatorship, nor does he advocate that we become a basic dictatorship, which is how this always gets framed. Now again, admire, probably not a great choice of words, but also at the same time when people are speaking casually, because it was like during some sort of uh, weird audience Q&A segment for something, and this was way before he was leader as well. I think it was during the campaign or it was while he was leader of the opposition. Or actually, he wasn't leader of the opposition then. He was the third party in power, because I think back then the NDP were the leader of the opposition. Trudeau, Trudeau said this stupid thing. And, and Tucker Carlson takes this clip, which Ezra plays on his show constantly, and played it in the exact same clipped way that Ezra does on his show, which means that basically Ezra gave him this clip showing Trudeau saying that he admires Trudeau's... Or Trudeau saying he admires China's basic dictatorship, and now that got broadcasted all over America. So this is this is Ezra trying to utilize these big, big-name people and trying to leverage this with the Conservative Party to basically rejuvenate his career. And, you know, it got some traction, but not a ton. But what I want to get to is, like, what is the scoop here? So what what did he find? What is this thing that was the biggest scoop of his entire life? So Ezra, what happened was Ezra filed a freedom of information request to the Canadian government, and he got some material back, and he claims that the material they received back was supposed to have some stuff blocked out. He referred to it as being grayed out, so you could still see what was written underneath. And in this there seems to be some sort of conflict between the Liberal Party and the military in terms of continuing these diplomatic training exercises, especially after the arrest in 2018 of a Huawei official in Canada, and then China's retaliation of arresting these two Michaels, uh, which are still arrested in China, and we don't fully know all the details in regards to that. 
So they had plans to do more of these training exercises in 2019, but they were canceled uh, after this give and take between the liberal government and the military. Now, this claim that like some somehow Ezra got this like super secret uh, like scoop because they were supposed to black out, not gray out, and he got a, a additional information. I don't know how much truth there is to that because really, when you read the documents, it doesn't seem like there's a ton there that would merit this whole document being completely blacked out because even if it was, I mean, all it shows is that there was a conflict between the military and the liberal government. And sure. <laughs> now, I don't know even like how much, I mean, I will get to it a second, like why this is relevant, why we should care, why Ezra thinks we should care. But you can tell at the front here, like I'm already feeling like this doesn't sound like a big deal right? We used to carry out diplomatic uh, things with China, joint joint exercises with China. Then there was this conflict that arose between Canadian the Canadian government arresting that Huawei official, and then China responding by arresting two Canadian citizens in China. And now we're at this stalemate where there's tensions between our countries, so the diplomatic thing that was planned for 2019, Trudeau apparently wanted to go ahead with it. The military disagreed, and eventually they sided with the military, and the event was canceled before 2019. So what are the what are the implications according to Ezra? Like what is what does this mean? Now there's the obvious thing where Ezra's trying to paint this as like China bad. Therefore, any sign of sort of like working or interacting with China is just immediately negative. But they offer some reasons for why they think this is negative or the negative consequences that could come from this. One of them is this idea that Canada is somehow offering to train Chinese officials. And so this is something that even Tucker Carlson alludes to, that it's like, why, why is Canada training these Chinese military members? Ezra Levant is the founder of Rebel News in Canada. He broke this story. It's an amazing story. And he joins us tonight. Ezra, thanks so much for coming on. I read this. My first reaction was this cannot be true. Your prime minister offered to train Chinese troops in Canada. Why would he do that? And the thing is, these joint exercises have less to do with training and more to do with diplomacy. Like, is China really learning anything from this? I don't think so. <laughs> like, it's... I mean, part of it is that they claim, at least Ezra claims, that the Chinese government is doing this to learn the secrets of winter warfare. PLA members participate in winter survival training at CFB Petawawa, Canadian Forces Base Petawawa. Now, it's small. It's not hundreds of soldiers. It's six to eight personnel per country but you only need one spy to learn our winter warfare secrets. We actually invite six to eight Chinese spies to take notes and to study and to learn everything. And they don't even have to do so secretly. We actually invited them to teach them on purpose our secrets to fighting in the cold. And what I have to say there is that China has wintry areas. <laughs> at least in comparison to where they would be training. So they were going to be training at Petawawa 
in Ontario, which is pretty close to Ottawa. So, yeah, it's, it's wintry. But, like, I mean, it's not the far north wintry, you know? It's, it's not like they were training on Baffin Islands up in, like, Nunavut. They were training in Petawawa in Ontario. Now, there's, like, places, like, if you look at China, like, China, big country, has a point on its uh, eastern side that goes up past Mongolia, almost, and connects back up with Russia. And it's a really cold region. Now, it's cold, but it's dry. So, maybe it doesn't have as much snow accumulated as Canada does in Petawawa, but that doesn't mean... That they don't get snow at all. And it doesn't mean that they can't learn to like train in wintry conditions. I also want to know like what what would the secrets be that Canada has that China doesn't in terms of military warfare? Or winter military warfare. And I even asked someone in, in my Discord who I knew was involved with military training. And they're just like, uh, the secret is wear warmer socks. <laughs> like there's a point where it's like, yeah, okay, you dress warmer and you can... I don't know, adapt your machinery. But if, like, the issue is, like, the coldness, like, China can figure it out. They have plenty of cold areas in their country. It's a large country. Now, there's more to that that I'll get to in a second. But the other idea, so, so okay, we're going to be training them, and that's bad. And then they're like, oh, and then uh, <laughs> they're going to learn the secrets of winter warfare. The other thing that they're worried about is knowledge transfer. With respect, we're Americans, so our concern is the United States. Canada is our biggest trading partner. We have the closest relationship with Canada, Canada of any country, obviously, in the world. This seems like an obvious threat to American national security. Does the Trump administration believe that, do you think? Well, in fact, in these memos, you can see that the Trump administration warned Canada that this winter warfare training would transfer knowledge to China that could be used. Now, they don't explain would it be used to take on Uyghurs in Xinjiang, Tibetans, to fight India in the Himalayas, or even to fight us. And when the military, the Canadian military said our American allies or our allies are concerned about this, Trudeau's staff pushed back and said, is it just the Trump administration or is anyone else worried about it? So there's an antipathy towards America that seeps through all these secret documents. And the, the overarching goal is to let China's president, Xi Jinping, save face. Ezra and Tucker Carlson get really upset with this because they're like, oh, like, obviously, America best and greatest in the world, therefore, for for Trudeau or Canada or the liberals to guffaw and push them aside and listen to everyone else in the world, that's a sign of, like, Canada not capitulating enough to America's military might or some nonsense bullshit like that. And here's the thing that's really stupid. For America to complain about this knowledge transfer argument, America itself held a joint exercise with China near Hawaii in 2019. And this is never mentioned by either Ezra or Tucker Carlson. And so how is that not creating a possibility of knowledge transfer? And I, I will remind you as well, this was occurring at the same time that the Trump administration was engaged in a trade conflict with China. So even though there was tensions brewing, similar to our own tensions in Canada with China, even though there was tensions in America with China, they still held this diplomatic 
joint exercise in Hawaii. So this is this knowledge transfer argument. And they don't explain how it would work. It's just that there, there's this possibility of knowledge transfer. On top of this, uh, they also go on and on about spies. And Ezra talks about the possibility of a, of a honeypot plot. You send 200 young, single men and women, lonely, away from home, discombobulated. Well, maybe some young cadets of the People's Liberation Army sidle up to a lonely Canadian soldier at night and say, hey, you want to go for a beer? And before you know it, there's a honey trap, there's an extortion, or just, you know, what are you doing sending 200 young men and women to Wuhan for a nine-day military games? Yeah. And it's within this context that Ezra even calls Edward Snowden a Chinese spy. And it's... I mean, I don't know how much truth there is to that. There was some accusations made to this uh, end a long time ago, like back when Snowden initially came out. But like, think about what Snowden revealed, which was that the American government is spying on its own citizens. And it's like, even there, that seems to be perfectly okay for Ezra. Yet, any relationship with China... China bad. China bad. China very bad. Everything that China does is bad. So Edward Snowden, he must be a Chinese spy because he's bad. But the government, American government, spying on its own citizens, seems perfectly okay. Because America good. China bad. America good. The last claim is this idea that the Chinese government is using the Canadian military to learn the secrets of winter warfare in order so that the Chinese government can fight India in the Himalayas. We haven't heard from the government of India that is probably wondering why we would be training China in how to fight in winter conditions when right now India and China are battling in the high Himalayas. I wonder what they say, democracy activists for Tibet and the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. I wonder how they feel about this sort of training. And the part that I'm going, why, like, why, why? Because here's one thing that China has that we don't. China has the Himalayans. They can just go to their own mountain range and train all they need to to learn the secrets of Himalayan warfare. Why the fuck do they need to come to Canada to learn that? They don't. This whole fucking thing is stupid. But apparently, China is sending sending six troops over to train in Petawawa to learn how to battle India over the Himalayan mountain range. That's that's the big plot here. This is this is what the Canadian media needs to be paying attention to right now. So, this story broke on the 9th, December 9th. It's now December 17th, and no one's really talking about this. No media organization has spent too much talking about this. I think when the, when it first dropped, you had a national post here. I think even the Globe and Mail mentioned a little something, but beyond that, there wasn't a, there wasn't a ton of buzz. And right now, the only thing I can find are right wing news sources who uh, have written op eds. So there was an op ed in the Toronto Sun by Tariq Fatah, who's been on the Revel. There was. A uh, London Free Press article op-ed by Lauren Gunter, 
also a recurring rebel figure. And those those are the only people still talking about this in the Canadian uh, media. So why why would Ezra be talking about this? And, and the only thing, or why would Ezra think that this is such an important story? And part of it is, it really just comes down to their hatred of China. That's all this ever has been. Even on Monday's show, like this is, this is the amazing irony here. On Monday's show, Ezra's whole opening segment is him complaining about Trudeau, talking about, or at least quasi-supporting the large mass farmer strikes in India. Now, Ezra doesn't mention that it's a farmer strike. He basically just says that it seems like the Modi government is doing some negative things to farmers and that this should be checked. What he's doing is not good. And so therefore he's supporting supporting uh, the, the treatment of these farmers or saying that we need to better, or India needs to better treat these farmers. So it's like a tepid response, but it was a response nonetheless. And Ezra is just livid that Trudeau, Trudeau would deign to tell India how to run its country. And the, and the thing is like Ezra even admits on his show, and I couldn't fucking believe this, Ezra actually admits he knows absolutely nothing about why these farmers are striking and he doesn't care. He just knows that there's a problem with Trudeau trying to tell other countries how to run their shit. But for some reason, he felt the need to weigh into another country's domestic affairs. Uh, here's a story about a disagreement in India in regards to its farmers. Now, I'm not even going to research it. You can if you care about it. I don't know which side is right. I don't even know what the different sides are. There might be more than two sides. I just know deep in my bones that it has nothing to do with me and my life and nothing to do with Canada. It's very lively over there, I grant you that, but it is not our affair. Uh, just like we wouldn't want India's Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, however much we might admire him, we wouldn't want him to weigh in on any matter regarding our Canadian farmers. It's just not his business. Meanwhile, this whole China story is Ezra trying to tell Trudeau to like step in and actually deal with China in a way. Like try to like challenge China and tell them how to do things. And like the constant stories about the uh, Uyghur Muslims and how we need to do something about it. So it's this constant refrain that we need to do something with China. But somehow when it comes to India, we should be like hands off. Which is another reason why he's constantly bringing up the Himalayans uh, part of this story, which is like, look out, China, who's our enemy, according to Ezra, shouldn't be facing off against India, who is our friend. Now, why is India our friend, but China not? Now, in the Canadian context, India and China are both sort of acquaintances. <laughs> I, I don't know how you would look at it in terms of countries, but kind of acquaintances. They're not people we're like super allied with, but we have friendly relations with. We're not at war with them. We're not trying to bomb China or India right now. But why does Ezra think that China is the enemy and India is not? And that's because India is being led by a fascist who hates Muslims. And China is being led by what they get to call communism. I wouldn't even call it communism. It's just the fact that it was communism. You can hate against it more. And that's the thing is, you would notice that 
Ezra never brings up the fact that Modi has been oppressing the Muslim population of India. Yet, all he talks about in terms of China is the Uyghur population, the Uyghur population. We've got to care about the Uyghur Muslims, the Uyghur Muslims, and China, how he treats it. It's almost like what this all just comes down to is that Ezra loves fascists and hates what he gets to call communists. And part of that comes down to this idea of like wanting to start like a new Cold War. And there's also the fact that China is an economic competitor and all these things. So it's, it's like an enemy to go to. But you could even see this in Ezra's COVID coverage. Because what have we seen so far throughout this whole COVID thing? Everything goes back to China. I mean, the virus itself came from China, but it wasn't just that it came, it started in China. It was manufactured in a China lab, which was then distributed amongst all of us. And so China purposefully did something or by mistake with their evil lab experiments, it leaked out and wrecked havoc around the whole world. Then it was like mask shortages. All the mask shortages all like went back to China that somehow they were doing something, hoarding the masks or they were delivering faulty masks and faulty tests to everyone. And then when it came to the lockdowns, that was evidence of other countries borrowing China's social credit system to oppress all of us. The vaccines? Astros had segments where he talks about how the vaccines that Canada bought, they were all made in China, and I'm not going to trust this Chinese vaccine. So everything negative that Ezra wants to talk about always seems to go back to China. And it feels like there's a concerted effort here to paint China as this enemy number one to start like a new Cold War with them. And I don't think it's working. But they're going to keep trying. And I'm going to keep talking about it. segment i just want to say that there's been these ongoing stories about the cerb canadian emergency response benefit being clawed back there's also been stories about uh student loans uh the forgiveness program that was on so during covid they had basically a a pause on interest and paybacks for the student loans and that has lifted even though a motion was passed where uh, both the Liberals and NDP agreed that there should be another freeze, and yet it hasn't been put on yet, and there's this ongoing just bullshit. You should contact your MP, be adamant that the CERB is a good thing, that you shouldn't claw it back. So basically what's happening is I guess some people had... Uh, so on the CERB, when you signed up for it, it said your uh you had to make at least this like i think it was five thousand dollars within the 2019 tax year and people took that to mean gross income rather than net income and now the uh revenue agency is saying that that was net not gross so people applied for it even though the language didn't specify net or gross and are and have spent the money because they received the money and are now being told to pay it back to the government so they're being told to pay back money that they don't have which is fucked up. And the student loan thing, people people who applied for certain uh, programs, so there's like a repayment assistance plan, all that was bungled in the after the freeze was lifted and people had money taken out of their bank's accounts even though they shouldn't have had that taken out, which caused a number, a number of problems. 
that and their system was backed up. You could you couldn't even contact them. You would call them and they would just go, uh, "Our phones are busy right now. Goodbye," and just hang up on you immediately. This is unacceptable, especially during this pandemic when people uh, need money to live. I mean, you always need money to live, but right now our economy is shrinking and it's uh, worrying. And so people who needed this money the most are suffering. So I would uh, suggest contacting your MPs, especially if they're liberal MPs, and uh, making it clear that this is unacceptable. If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperialnews. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Friday at 8pm. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, Ezra, thank you so much. And congratulations on Rebel News. I know you take a lot of abuse up in Canada, but you do a great job. We appreciate it. What is this? Are you guys kidding me?